Remain standing and take your Bibles and turn them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our text this morning will be those first five verses of chapter 2. And before I read those verses, let's ask the Lord's blessing and favor upon us as we sit under the word of God. Let's pray. Now, blessed God, we come in the name of Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, fully God and fully man, our light of light and life of life. We come, O Lord, to hear your word and to, Lord, have our souls fed, have our, our lives enhanced with this truth. Take this word this morning from this letter. Wash us, cleanse us, instruct us, train us in righteousness. Build up, O oh Lord, this congregation in truth and holiness and righteousness and justice. Lord, make our paths straight and give us, Lord, along the way an ever-increasing desire for the word of truth and for Christ our Lord and King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 1. Hear the uh, words of the apostle and the eternal word of God. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Beloved, we have wrestled with Corinthians over the last several weeks, and Paul has helped us understand how God battles the spirit of the age, that God's spirit is at war with the wisdom of men, with the strength of men. It pleased God, Paul says, to put these things to foolishness as it relates to man's salvation how man will be reconciled with his creator. There have been all kinds of inventions of religion. There's been many ways that men have devised to try to make themselves worthy of salvation. And all of them fail, but one. All fail, but one. And that is the one that God instituted. It is the one that God has prescribed. It is the one that God has set forth. It's the one that God blesses. And that is that salvation is only in his son that we confess this morning as the only redeemer, the only med the mediator between God and man. Now, chapter two, Paul is going to testify to not only his giftedness, but also his ministry. If you see in your bulletin, the title 
that I was able to come up with. And of course, that is the weakest part. It's the part that I really don't like. And it's really the one I spend the less amount of time on. And that is what the title, the message. But I did entitle this one, a gifted minister in a faithful ministry. And the reason for that is because Paul begins in these first five verses speaking to the Corinthians, reminding them of how he came to them, how they were established, how the church there at Corinth came to be. Now, beloved, as Paul writes and he is reminding them how he came to them with the gospel and in certainly in weakness as compared to these super apostles that are attacking Paul. We have to be reminded, though, that what we are seeing as we look back at Paul's ministry and as we look back at the ancient world, as we look back at the progression of Christianity, the power of the gospel, and how the gospel has defeated paganism, has defeated atheism, has defeated false religion after false religion and will continue to do so until Christ is pleased to return again. And so we don't want to cultivate a spirit of defeatism. We don't want to cultivate a a spirit of fear and withdrawal within the four walls of our church and to sit in this holy huddle and not expect anything more than maybe just the morning message but that we would have the expectation that as the gospel is proclaimed and heralded and declared and preached, that dominions and powers, these darkness, these powers of darkness, these demonic powers, these strongholds of false religion would fall. Now we've seen it in the ancient world. Let me give you an example. Where's the temple of Artemis? Where's the temple of Diana today? A pagan temple that was worshiped in Ephesus? Where is it? It's no more. Why is it no more? Because God took this apostle named Paul and shot him into that community and Paul went there in the bold proclamation of the gospel to preach a crucified and risen savior. And Diana was no match for Jesus. That's why Paul calls the gospel the power of God unto salvation. Now, we have to be reminded as we read these five verses, the context of Corinth. (laughs) Not dissimilar from that of Ephesus for sure, but what was it that gave Corinth such an advantage over many other cities in that region? Well, it was the two massive ports that Corinth uh, housed. It was two massive sea ports that was vital to the export and imports of goods. And whenever you have that, it'd be like in our day and time, two large international airports, whereas there's just this hustle and bustle of activity. So there were all of these goods coming and goods going in this city. And it made this city really a cultural melting pot. It made this city truly diverse. All kinds of nations there, all kinds of languages, all different kinds of people, and of course, all different kinds of religion. 
There were temples, massive temples dedicated to various gods all over Corinth. Corinth, like many cities in during that time, was not ashamed of these uh, these gods. And they worshiped a God just like Paul. If you go back and read your Bibles and you read Paul's encounter on Mars Hill in Athens and they had all of these monuments dedicated to all of the various gods that they could conceive of and even one dedicated to the one they may miss. That's how dedicated they were to this vain and false religion. Really, it's, it's, it's nothing more than humanism cloaked with religious ceremonies. It's still humanism, it's still a secularism, it's just a different variety and type. And remember, that's the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age always has their false gods. They always have their, re, their, their, their false ways of redemption, okay? Now there were some of these temples that you might recognize or in your hearing and I'm just gonna give you a couple of them, and I want you all to see how they're related, how they're related to these seaports. Well, the first one was the Temple of Apollo. The Temple of Apollo. He was worshiped as this deity that was associated with music and, and the arts and literature, okay? Um, you remember Paul's, one of Paul's companion was Apollos, a, what? A convert out of paganism. His parents named him after this God, if you will, and he was a very eloquent man. He was a very powerful speaker, and yet the gospel had gotten a hold of his heart, and then he, he was changed, and he had experienced the power of God's grace, and he had become a Christian, and Paul was training him. And you can see this music industry, the arts, the crafts, the, the literature. You can see that why Corinth had become sort of this bastion of education and philosophy. And then there was the temple of Adaphrite, the goddess of love and beauty, the temple of prostitution. Remember, in our initial sermons related to the book, uh, remember there were, there were sort of sayings that would go around, how Corinthian of you. And, and those statement was used to those who were very licentious, those who were very, very uh, sleazy, okay? Those are people that were very immoral, they would use that as a sort of a compliment. Well, how Corinthian of you. Well, this city housed this great temple, if you will, of this goddess, and so she was a god of she was the goddess of love and beauty. Now you got to think about it. Think about this seaport. You have all of this stuff coming and going. Now it can work for good and it can work for evil, right? I mean, just as Paul was preaching the gospel at Corinth. It had been several years since Paul had been there, roughly maybe five. 
And as Paul preached the gospel, there may have been some people that initially embraced the gospel that had left and taken the gospel back to their own homelands. But also, just as the gospel is spreading, so does darkness and so do these uh, vain philosophies and these, this secularism, this humanism spread as well. And so Paul is certainly addressing and dealing. There was a temple of healing, a temple of medicine, if you will. It, pilgrims would come from all over the world to visit this temple and, quote, be healed. And, of course, the seaports gave access to that. And then there was the God of Poseidon the God of the sea. You can imagine the sailors coming in and they had been blessed with bringing their goods into the port. What would they do? They would go give sacrifices to Poseidon and thank him for the safe travels. Now, you know, beloved, I mean, this is not something that is not uncommon today. And of course, because there were so many goods coming into the city and leaving the city, exporting these goods all over the world and these goods coming in, these, the fruits and vegetables and whatnot. And of course, there was always the God of fertility, the God that blesses the crops and the fields and the rain and all of these things. Why? Because if your whole business is sending out uh, this, uh, this commerce of this fruit and these vegetables, well, certainly you're going to be invested in the, quote, God that can bring the rain and fertilize the ground and make your harvest abundance because the more abundant your harvest, the greater your bank account. Now, I mentioned those not just to give us the context of the power of the gospel that Paul has preached in that city and has taken root, but our own culture has its gods like this too the gods of entertainment. You might say is certainly the prostitutions of the day, the, the cultural public um, display of, of immorality and decadence and prostitution, many in the industry, in the music industry. We might not value rhetoric like they did. Um, we would value more rap music than we were, you know, uh, powerful rhetoric, but nevertheless, at the same time, what we find around us is whether it's the art, the education, um, we no longer want to create mathematicians and scientists. We want to create activists rather than educated people. Why? Because we have become wedded to certain ideologies and, and doctrines, and we have made certain things our idols in this age and really around the world, that's what's so massively strange about the things we're experiencing. It's not just in America. We're watching this darkness cover the earth, aren't we? We're watching many of these bastions of, of countries, right? It used to be bastions of Christianity now falling, if you will, to this wokeism and to this communism and to this socialism of, a, of such a strength and kind that is choking out the churches and seeking to prosecute and persecute the preaching of the gospel. I mean, listen, beloved, whether you agree with me or not, the whole purpose of this communism, the whole purpose of secular humanism that we see politicized is to stamp out Christianity. 
because that's what they fear. They fear what Paul has preached, and that is the powerful gospel of grace and forgiveness. See, wokeism and secular humanism, they don't have forgiveness in their system. They don't have forgiveness. It's a, a terrible crime for them. You know, if it, say, let's just use this transgender thing as an example. Just a horrible doctrine. Uh, taking just these, the, these dear people and, and, and turning them into something that God never intended. But, you know, even if you look at their detransitioning, they're ostracized by their people. That's not allowed. Repentance isn't allowed. They, they, it's full commitment and nothing else. And so, again, we preach a gospel that requires repentance of sin, but that God also fills the heart with the grace to repent and the eyes to see their sin the way God sees it, at least enough so that they might be uh, burdened by it, that they would call upon Christ who's ready and willing, beloved, to take that sin from them. We have a great God a great forgiving gracious god who takes people and cleanses them up and cleans them up and and gives them new hearts new new lives and paul well, we're going to get to that we're going to get to that in corinthians because paul addresses that he goes you used to be a certain way that you're no longer that way why because of the power of the gospel and the world hates this. The world despises this. So you see, this is the context, beloved, that Paul is giving this testimony in these first five verses. So let's do this. Let's see how far we get this morning. Let's begin to go through the first five verses and, and going through it verse by verse. And then we're going to just open up some application um, of what we can understand as what is a faithful minister and what is a faithful ministry. Now, this is important because we, number one, I, I need to examine myself in the light of Paul's testimony. I need to examine my own person and my own work in the light of, of the Apostle Paul. This is the divine word of God. This is what God has given his approval to, and I need to submit myself to that. But beloved, you also need to know what a minister should look like. You need to know what the expectation of a minister ought to be so that you don't become, well, duped or tricked or in some ways acceptance of something that's far less. And that you need to also use the word of God to have the word as a standard so that when you are looking for a minister or choosing a minister or whatever the case may be, of course, not while I'm here, <laughs> Uh, after that, that you would begin to say, okay, here's what that minister needs to look like. So let's begin looking at these first five verses. Now look at verse one. Now we can see in first, uh, I, what I've titled in my notes here is these, the humblest of beginnings, the humblest of beginnings. Why? Because notice what Paul says. He says, when I came to you brothers announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Now, there's something here that we need to 
I need to, to bring to your attention in verse 1. Now, we see that in this translation that I'm using this morning, some of you may have already caught it's different and I did this on purpose. This is the new Christian Standard Bible. Um, I read from various, various Bibles all throughout the week. And I've chosen just to use this one for the sake of interest, for the sake of clarity, and for the sake of just bringing a freshness to the Word of God this morning. And that's faithful. That's a good translation. And there is, an, a, there is a, a, a variant in verse 1, that is, when when the word testimony is used, you may even have a note in your Bible, some translations or even the better Greek manuscripts will have the Greek word mysterion, which is the English word translated mystery, mystery. Now, Paul uses this, that is, uh, brothers announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Now, what is this mystery or what is this testimony? Well, it can be none other in this text as the gospel, none other than the gospel. Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with a lot of stuff. I didn't come with, you know, the philosophies of the day. I didn't come to, to wow you with myself. I came to impress upon you the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, um, look at uh, verse 7 of, of chapter 2. And we see this here. It says, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. We see that translation there as a mystery, which God predestined before the ages for our glory. Meaning the gospel, we know the gospel was ordained before the foundation of the world. What? God would come and save a people for his own namesake that God was going to send Christ into the world to be the Savior of men. Look at 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. Paul writes, he says, A person should consider us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. And, of course, this is understood that not only because it's plural, not only is it the gospel, that is, the gospel in its doctrine, in its teaching, in its ordinances, but also Paul calls the sacraments, the mysteries of God. Now, this mystery, what is it? This mystery. It's that which is secret, that which is hidden. Now, whose secret is it? It's God's secret. Who hid it? God hid it. Who is it hidden from? Sinners. And it's revealed to sinners by the Spirit of God when he gives them eyes to see, when he gives them ears to hear. Can you think of a parable that teaches this? What about the parable of the sower, right? Let's look at the parable of the sower. Turn to Matthew 13. Let's, um, I'm not going to read the whole parable. We just don't have time, the luxury for that. But 
look at verse 10. Now, you, the, you can familiarize yourself with the parable of the soil or the parable of the sower, however it's titled, there, it's the same. But you look in verse 10, and we see that this is why he spoke to them in parables. It says, then the disciples came, to, came up and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know. But it has not been given to them. For whosoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, taken away from him. For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see. Hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen yet never understand. You will look and look yet never perceive. For this people's heart has has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would cure them. Let me just, again, just for clarity's sake, what is Jesus saying there? He said, the reason I speak the parables, again, these, myster- these truths cloaked in these parables, this mystery, is because Those who have the word of God don't want it. They don't appreciate it. They don't learn from it. They're not eager to eat it and devour it and feed their souls with it. So their ears have become hard. Their eyes have become blind. I speak in a way that those who really don't want the truth won't receive it. And that's why it says, to whom as much has been given, much is what? Expected. Now, beloved, that belongs, that means that's also true of us. He says, so I speak in this manner so that those who have abused the word of God, they won't understand it. Because number one, they don't treasure it. They don't long for it. They don't love it. And because they don't treasure it, because they don't long for it, and because they don't love it, they can't understand it. Now, beloved, you may be sitting here this morning. Let me just, this is this tidbit of an application. Why have you struggled to understand Christian doctrine? Could it be that in your heart you don't love the Word of God? You don't love it. You don't care for it. It's not what you see that feeds your soul. It's the entertainment of the world. It's the philosophers of the world, the influence off of the internet. I'm so eager to hear what they have to say about life, about family, about marriage. You don't love the word of God, thus God doesn't give it to you. Now, Let's go back to Corinthians. So Paul is speaking, if you will, in this mystery. And he says, brethren, I came to you. Now, this idea of brothers is inclusive to the whole family of God, male and female. So don't uh, you sisters uh, think this is not applying to you. It is applying to you. 
Paul says, I announced, if you will, this mystery or this testimony of God. I've announced it. I came preaching it. I came declaring it. I came announcing it publicly, this mystery or this gospel. And notice what he says in verse one. Here's how I did not do it. I did not do it in what you call and what your influencers call brilliance of speech or wisdom. Paul isn't saying that the gospel isn't brilliant. That's not what he's saying. Paul isn't demeaning the gospel. Paul isn't saying the gospel is country or that the gospel is somehow just uh, inferior to man's will. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is making a comparison. He's saying, listen, all of these things that your influencers and your philosophers call brilliant and wise, I didn't use. I didn't need to because the gospel is powerful unto God for saving purposes. I didn't have to. Now, beloved, we have a rich history concerning the gospel in our Presbyterian circles and Christian circles, particularly the Reformed circles. We have a rich history in this, and I want to bring your attention to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraphs 4 and 5, and you can see that that chapter is related to the Word of God. If you open that confession up and you read it, it's going to teach you about the Word of God, the the brilliance of it, the majesty of it, the glory of it, the power of it, why God gave it, why was it important for God to give us a written word versus it just being handed down verbally. And it tells us because, well, Satan is crafty. Satan is very crafty. And the flesh is strong. Our carnality is strong wages war against these things. And so it behooved God for the edification and the building up of the body to put his will into writing. Praise God. Well, paragraph four says this, because you think about Paul going into this pagan city. Paul's going into this pagan city and he's preaching something that everybody sees as inferior, foolish, unwise and yet God births a church in the midst of these pagan temples in the midst of these pagan temples in the midst of the deepest demonic darkness there shines this little church and so listen to this what the scriptures teach about the word of God how did this happen Well, listen to this statement of doctrine. The authority of Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. See, when Paul went and started preaching the gospel, he didn't need permission and the people didn't need permission to receive it. God declared the power of it to their own souls. God witnessed to them. God declared the power of grace and salvation to them. It was God that opened their eyes. 
It was the Spirit of God that revealed to them their own nakedness before God, their own moral depravity, and how God was the only one that can lift them up out of the ash heap of sin and not Apollos, Artemis, Poseidon. They had no answer. These human gods had no answer for this. God has come and he is speaking in the gospel through this inferior apostle. And this declares that truth. There's another paragraph, paragraph five. Listen to this one. So first of all, the church doesn't say, oh yes, we declare this to be the the, the scriptures, we declare this to be the word of God. It's the word of God because we declare it to be arrogant. It's the word of God because the word of God says it's the word of God. It's the word of God because God testifies to its power. God testifies to its light. God testifies to its life-giving ability. God, listen, brothers and sisters, do we could stack up testimony after testimony after testimony. Maybe you have some, maybe a testimony like this too, where people just sit down to open the Bible, maybe even to disprove it and become converted by reading it. I've shared some of those testimonies from this pulpit with you. That's the power of God's word. Another paragraph five says this, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet, notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Let me give you let me illustrate this paragraph to you. That's why it doesn't matter who you meet from nationality, language, background, country, whatever the case may be. When the Spirit gets a hold of them and they are reading the word in their language, we're brothers in Christ. We're sisters in Christ. What do we do? We are all testifying that this is the word of God. The same scriptures. Because God is powerfully taking his word and he's using it to save his people in whatever language, tongue, nation they come from. And it's all similar and very, very much the same thing. Why? Because it's one God, one gospel, one savior, one word of truth. And there you have the reason, beloved, that we don't, you know, there are not thousands and different understandings of the word of God. It has one meaning and the spirit gives it one meaning. There are many applications, but there's one essential truth that scripture teaches. Not many truths, one essential truth with many applications to that one essential truth. 
and Christians all over the world and for centuries and for millennia have understood that to be so. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is reminding them who have become under the influence, right? They have, come, they have brought themselves under the influence of these, these cultural influencers and it has wreaked havoc in the church they have, there's all these abuses going on. There's all of these, these immoral practices. Um, and Paul is having to go straighten it out. And Paul is this bringing them back to, hey, this is how this whole thing started was under the power of the gospel. The things that you're clinging to now after the fact were not the same things that gave you life. They weren't the things that opened your mind up to understanding who God is and what God wants for you in your life, God's will for you, if you will, God's purpose for you. No, those things didn't. See, those things did not open that up to you. It was the gospel that opened these things up to you and allowed you and gave you the energy and the power to embrace it, to understand it and confess it and to begin to walk in it. Now, what are you doing? What are you thinking? It's kind of like going from a, 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 you know, the filet mignon back to Burger King. And, and it's not even as good as Burger King. Paul says, you've tasted the gospel. I came and announced the, the testimony of God to you, the mystery of God, the, the secrets of God I unveiled to you. I showed them to you. Why, you were in darkness before then. So that's verse one. Now look at verse two. Paul goes on, he says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, what Paul is teaching us here is that when he tells them, as I came to you and as I preached the gospel, my focus and aim was the atonement, the person and work of Christ. I wanted to explain Jesus to you. It's interesting how Paul did this and what we see here, what is, how are churches established? How are churches created? Not just by commonality, right? Not just by common interests. Those are called clubs. That's what clubs are. Clubs are, are a membership that have common interests. You can have a gun club. You can have a sewing club. You can have a, a horse club. You can have, a, you know, a softball club. You can have any number of different clubs because the people that are attracted there are very interested in the topic, in the subject matter. Well, Paul says it was Christ that birthed this church. Did not our Lord say when he was resurrected from the dead, when he met with those disciples on that day, he said, all power on earth, all power in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Matthew 28, verse 16 and following. Go ye therefore into the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is telling the disciples and he's, he is, he's even filling up what he had told them earlier in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is Paul demonstrating here is that Christ is building his church and that God had sent Paul to the city of Corinth to begin to preach what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the atonement about who Christ is being fully God and fully man and being fully dead on the cross, buried in the ground for three days and arose again on that third day humiliated and exalted. Paul said, this is how we established the church. It wasn't just a bunch of like-minded people. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the doctrine of his atonement. Now listen, beloved, this is something that churches need to be teaching and focusing on, the atonement. And you can imagine being with the Apostle Paul because what Bible was Paul using when he opened up the atonement, the doctrine of the atonement with those people there in Corinth? Because the New Testament wasn't written at that point in time. What was Paul opening up to them? He was opening up the Old Testament to them. The Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures. In fact, let's... Turn to Isaiah 53. I am fully, fully convinced that as Paul instructed them on the atonement of Christ, he was going to teach this passage of Scripture. Because there is not a clearer Old Testament text of Scripture that speaks to Christ being, well, humiliated for our sins being the propitiation, the full payment of our sins than Isaiah 53. And now this passage is worthy of our reading, so bear with me starting at verse one. Notice what Isaiah says. For who has believed what we have heard? And who has the, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? There's your mystery. There's the power of the gospel. He grew up, and that's Christ. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was, he was like one people turned away from He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted for he is pierced. He was pierced because of our transgression, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all like sheep, we all have been turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellions. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence. 
and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him and made him sick. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and he will, and the will of the Lord will succeed in, by his hand. He will see it out of his anguish and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mightiest spoil because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. What is Paul saying in Corinthians? Paul is saying, you are the fruit of the exaltation and majesty of Jesus Christ. You are the gift of the Father to the Son in your believing the gospel, in you declaring your repentance, in you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God had sent Paul to preach the, the blessed gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus in Corinth, and they had turned, many had turned from their sins, from their paganism, from these, these, this, this worship of goddess and these gods, and they embraced Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding them, this is how you came to know the Lord Jesus. This is how you had received your life. I had preached to you Jesus Christ and his propitiation, his atonement. He had paid for your sins. He had washed you and made you clean. And the Lord is blessing his son with many. Many, many what? Many believers many Christians, many who are repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. Beloved, Paul goes on in verse three and four and five. These are all related and put together. He says, and I was with you in weakness and fear. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, beloved, verses three and four serve as the foundation, if you will, or the basis. Verse five, there's a purpose clause there. In the original language, we translated in English in that word, so. Right, You see it right there in verse 5, so that. That's the purpose clause. What Paul is saying in verses 3 and 4 is what he now says in verse 5. This is, the, this is why I came to you the way I did, in weakness, in fear, in trembling. This is why my speech was the way it was, so that, verse 5, so that your faith might not be based on man's wisdom but on God's power. Paul was ever so careful, beloved, to, you know, this is why he's a faithful minister. This is why he's a faithful minister. As a faithful minister, what is Paul? Paul is ever so careful to keep the eyes of the people he's ministering to off of himself and on God. Amen. Paul can't do anything for them. I can't do anything for you. But God can. 
And God does. God is working in you as we preach this morning. As we worship, God is, by his spirit, is testifying to you the truth of his word, the glory, the majesty of his word, the arguments that's been presented in your hearing this morning are convincing you of the the validity and of the, the value that this has. And while the church is not simply a club, that it's an, it's an institution, it's an organic institution filled with the spirit of God where God is present in his people's midst and he's growing them up and he's building them up and he's saving them for his own glory. So that you can take no credit for it. So that when you go out and you testify, you're like, you know, I mean, you can go to the bookstore and you can go on Amazon and you can, you can buy a self-help manual. There are thousands out there. How to, uh, how, how to change your habits in 30 days. How to improve your finances. How to improve your marriage. How to improve your parenting. How, how to co-parent. How, how to love your wife. How to love your husband. I mean, how, how to be a good neighbor. There are thousands of self-help manuals out there. But you cannot take that manual as God has transformed your life, as God has opened your eyes, as God has begun to feed you his word by the power of his spirit, give you understanding, helping you to see its value and majesty and glory and all of these wonderful things in it. You say, you know what? All I know is I put my faith in Jesus. My eyes have been opened. I mean, we're going to declare, we're going to declare, all I know is I was blessed but now I see. That's what the blind man said when the Pharisee said, hey, 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 weren't you blind yesterday? Aren't you that guy that we used to make fun of growing up? Aren't you that blind kid we used to play jokes on? What happened? All I know is that Jesus touched me And I was blind, but now I see. That's your testimony. This is what I know. Outside of that is all to his glory. Now, beloved, to to at least bring, because I'm not going to get into all the applications that I have of the text. We'll do that next week. What I want to do is I want to show you the wisdom of our Reformed fathers when they, in, in the writing of the original confession. I want, to, I want to read to you out of the directory of public worship on preaching. I'm going to, because this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about when I came to you, I didn't exalt myself. I exalted the Lord of glory. I exalted Jesus. I exalted the doctrine of the atonement. I exalted his majesty. I did all of that in proclaiming to you the mysteries of God. I unveiled them to you. I opened them up to you. The things that were hidden from from days of old, if you will. 
And I'm going to read to you um, what it says about preaching, and I think you will be edified by it. And, and again, what's the purpose of this? Well, as number one, I have to judge myself by the ministry of the apostle. Does my ministry look like this? All ministers have to come to this text of Scripture and ask that question. All ministers do that. Is my ministry, is it faithful? Is it, is it the gifts that God has given to me, are these being used in a way that glorifies God and not me? So that I can judge myself, but so that you can also know what kind of minister you need to have preaching to you the gospel. So I want you to listen to these things. Now, this is directory of worship. It was, it was given as guidance for the Reformed Church coming out of Catholicism. And here's what it says about preaching. It says, preaching of the word, being the power of God unto salvation, and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry. The gospel should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may himself and those that hear him be saved. Did you catch that? That he would save himself. Now that keeps the humility where it needs to be. Because it's not the minister that comes to say, now y'all boys, listen to me now. You need to be saved. No, it's like we are all brought under the spirit of truth. The, 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 the word of God is called the grace, the word of grace, so that we might what? Be impacted by it, that we might all have our souls fed through it and say, be saved, okay? Um, now listen to these rules. It says, now, that's how it opens up this section. I'm just going to give you, we're not going to go through, and I'm not going to read this whole section to you and bore you. But you can go and read it for yourself. It says, but the servant of Christ, whatever method he used to perform the ministry or the preaching of the word, it needs to contain these seven things. There are these seven things. Now, I had this, um, this is my personal confection. Confession is duct taped up. I've got all these notes in here to remind me when I when I sort of you know uh, get sidetracked, come back, come back, and begin to teach this way. You'll be able to use these methods because one thing that Paul is saying, Paul is saying, listen, as I came to you in this fear and this trembling and these weaknesses, is that I, I did not develop my own method, my own, if you will. No, I, I, I trusted the Lord to bless the preaching of the gospel. I obeyed the Lord when he said, go preach the gospel. Go tell them of Jesus Christ. I trusted that the Lord was going to take the simple preaching of the cross and save his people. And so here are these seven things. First of all, it says that the word of God must be preached painfully. <laughs> Meaning that it takes work to study the word of God. Work. 
The minister cannot think he's got this easy peasy job. He's just going to sail off into retirement. No, he must painfully work at understanding the doctrines of God. And you say, well, I understand the atonement. Hey, but can I explain it to you and to you young people? Where you are in this generation, that takes work so painfully. Number two, plainly, plainly. And, and this is direct, a quote from Corinthians. Listen to what it says. It says that the, that the meanest, all right, now when he talks about the meanest may understand, he's talking about the most ignorant. Plainly, that the meanest or the most ignorant may understand delivering the truth, not in the enticing words of man wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect abstaining also from unprofitable use of unknown tongues, strange phrases, and cadences of sounds and words, sparingly citing sentences of ecclesiastical and other human writings, ancient or modern, be they ever so elegant. Now, what that one is telling us is, listen, preach the word. We all have our heroes of the faith. We all have our heroes of the faith, but this is not their desk. This is not their pulpit. This is not my pulpit. This is the holy desk of Christ to come and proclaim his saving word to his people. And so we must be careful to preach plainly. Thirdly, faithfully. Looking at the honor of Christ, the conversion and edification and salvation of the people, not the minister's own gain or glory, keeping nothing back which may promote those holy ends, giving to everyone his own portion and bearing indifference and bearing indifferent respect unto all without neglecting the most ignorant and sparing the greatest in their sins. I mean, minister to the whole body. The young, the old, the ones that have been in church for a long time, those who are just now coming to church. Preach in such a way that all leave edified. I love the quote from Martin Luther. Um, Some of the men were complaining in his church that his preaching was too simple. In Luther, in Luther's way, if you know anything about Luther, he could respond in very, very sharp, you know. He could respond in a very sharp way. He said, listen, I have 20 doctors in my church. Not this kind of doctor, scholars. But I preach to the children. Because if the doctors can't understand what I'm saying, then woe is them. I don't preach to the doctors. I preach to the children that they may grow up knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, he says, wisely, knowing how to frame and suit the doctrines and exhortations of Scripture so that the people can understand it and make use of it. It needs to be wise. Fifthly, gravely, that is, handle the Word of God as what it is, the Word of God. It's a book like every other book, and it's a book unlike every other book. It has pages, it has words on it, but it's, well, it wasn't written by men. It was written by the Spirit of God moving upon men to write it. 
It's a holy book. It says it's holy. It says it's God's word. Paul writes to Timothy and says, the scriptures are God-breathed. They come out of his mouth, 2 Timothy 3.16. They, from the mouth of God, are the expiration. They are God speaking in these words. Makes them different. So it must be handled with seriousness. Six, you will like this one, you know, since these Puritans were so harsh. Number six, with love and affection. How about that one? That the minister of the gospel should preach with such love and affection for the people he's preaching to that they are moved to listen to him because he cares about them. And all of the exhortations, the warnings, the encouragements, all of it. They see that the minister of God cares. And then lastly, the minister must teach to people as one himself taught of God. That's wisdom. That the minister must also be a student of the word of God. He must also be a subject of the gospel. You know, one of the characteristics of the Reformation that's probably overlooked and, and, and really not addressed much was the salvation of ministers. Preachers were getting saved. Let that sink in. See, they were looking at, at the ministry as a job, as just, as the, just like, well, it is a job, as like every other job. It's just the rudiments, it's the mundane, it's the things we do, it's the whatever. And what happened when these men began to read the scriptures for what they are and study them, they were becoming converted. And it changed their whole ministry. It changed their church, of course. I remember one minister who was a scientist and he bored the congregation because instead of really preaching the Bible, he would just want to preach science to them. And there were hardly very few people in the church. He had run them all off. Well, he had gotten deathly ill. This was Thomas Chalmers, by the way. He had become deathly ill. He was on his deathbed for a, a while. Well, during that time of weakness, God saved him. He turned, he cried out to God, have mercy on me. He realized, I don't know God in this time of weakness. And God restored his strength and he, and, he, and he was allowed to go back into the pulpit, into his congregation. And guess what he began to do? He just began to preach the word of God. He just began to open up the scriptures, preaching these verses and passages of scripture. And guess what happened to the church? They was, they, it filled up and they had to open all the windows and the doors because people were standing outside the church going, we got to hear this. That's what happens, beloved, when the Spirit brings the Word of God into your soul. You want to know more? Feed your soul. Well, beloved, may the Lord use these verses.
to get our attention. Consider the kind of minister Paul was, consider the kind of minister you have, and consider the kind of ministry we want to have here. And then be dedicated to the glory of God and be trusting that God is going to, well, do as he sees fit. And we be okay with that. We'll get into several applications next week, but let's give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for its light, its clarity. We thank you, O oh Lord, for its, the challenges that it's presented to us this morning. Lord, as we look at the apostle who was gifted, Lord, by your spirit and used mightily to establish, Lord, a church in a very dark place, in a very pagan irreligious, Lord, godless place. Lord, you bless the preaching of Christ. You bless the preaching of the cross and you pierced the darkness with truth and saved many. And Lord, Satan is going after this flock there in Corinth and you are bringing back the apostle Paul to defend the truth and to defend the cross and to remind the church there that they've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, remind us of that too. Let us be reminded of it. Let us think about it as we look into the world that we have and the battles that, that rage around us and the things we must defend and, Lord, rightly speak against. Let us remember that we do it not to exalt ourselves. We do it to exalt you and the truth of your word. So, Lord, come and continue to teach us and humble us under this precious doctrine of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.